Hello and welcome to another episode of Giant Mess, a super sloppy sports and entertainment talk show that covers Giants football, Mets baseball, movies, TV shows, and comedy. It's got some life lessons mixed in for good measure. It's hosted by Giant Mess. That's me, the real cinch, Neil Lynch. I'm a former college quarterback and pitcher. On today's episode, we'll talk some Giants football. Uh, We have hired a new offensive line coach, Carmen Brusillo. Where in the world is Carmen Brasillo? He's an East brother for New Jersey. Uh, we'll talk about the never-ending Brian Dable and Wink Martindale saga. Now, I know saga can be overused, but the, I feel like it's a definitely freaking appropriate when it comes to those two. And uh, and then the Mets. We'll finish up with the Mets, y'all. The Mets have avoided arbitration with Pete Alonzo. What kind of dollar-dollar bills, y'all, are we going to be paying Pete Alonzo, the polar bear? And some other off-season news and notes. Not a whole lot going on there, but we got about a month until pitchers and catchers, so maybe we could pick it up a little bit with the acquisitions and the signings and the whatnots. I, ooh, I don't know if I'm feeling that great about <laughs> what's going on with the Metros this off-season, but this is kind of what I asked for, right? So... Ask and ye shall receive. So without further ado, let's get it started up in here. Let's talk New York football giants. We have an offensive line coach. His name is Carmen Brasillo. Where in the world is Carmen Brasillo? Great question. He's in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Formerly of the Las Vegas Raiders. Highly respected and touted. Looks a lot like Brian Dable. So narcissist much? Dabes? Narcissist much? Um... He finished his sec, uh, just finished his second season as the offensive line coach with the Raiders. This is uh, was his fifth season at the NFL level. He spent the previous three seasons with the Patriots, two years as their offensive line coach after being promoted from coaching assistant in 2022. Despite starting seven different offensive line combinations, Brasillo's group paved the way for a rushing attack that averaged 4.81 yards per carry, second highest average in franchise history. Raiders rushers were also stuffed for a loss, tackled for loss, or no gain only 68 times that season, the fewest in the NFL. And, I mean, I can hear you through the through the ether, through the webs. Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I hear you. Josh Jacobs. Very good running back, so I think that has something to do with it. But at the same time, seven different offensive line combinations. We have friggin' Saquon Barkley. If he sees those number of combinations, he's not putting up the numbers that Josh Jacobs is. Now, is that a, is that a condemnation, a criticism of Saquon? Yeah, we'll bet, we'll bet. But uh, that's just, I, I mean, that's just something that Bobby Johnson could not pull off. In 2021, running back Damian Harris rushed for 15 touchdowns, the second most in uh, franchise history for the Patriots. Pats recorded 24 rushing touchdowns, third most in franchise history. 146.6 rushing yards per game in 2020, ranked seventh in franchise history, and was the best rushing attack for New England since '83. <clears throat> so it's pretty good. And yeah, I hear you. But I mean, what Brady left in '20, right? So the fact that Brady leaves and the rushing attack, uh, which they needed to depend on because they have Mac Jones, rookie starter, Cam Newton, who was at that point not you know, where he, not at his prime, not at his peak, which was five years prior in 2015. So pretty damn good, I have to say. From 2015 to 
From 2010 to 2018, Priscilla spent nine years coaching the offensive line at Youngstown State. During his time with the program, he coached 15 All-Missouri Valley Conference selections, and the Penguins advanced to the 2016 FCS National Championship game. Uh, the offensive line, the offense set multiple records, school records, during his tenure with, uh, with total yards, yards per game, rushing yards, completion percentage, passing yards, passing touchdowns, and points per game. So, uh, feels like wherever this guy goes, offensive line thrives. Or the offense thrives. Or the rushing game thrives. <laughs> Not so much the passing game. So, that will be interesting. And we are, I mean... As much as uh, I'd like us to open it up and really spread the field through the air vertically, um, we are a run-first team. Like, our success is predicated on the run. Saquon needs to run. Daniel Jones needs to run. And when they both run successfully, we win games. And we go to the playoffs, and we win a playoff game. When we don't run the ball, and you have to rely on Daniel Jones to throw the ball 30-plus times, 40 plus times that is like we almost never win those games so yeah let's get that run game going again that'll open up the pass for dj bing bang boom playoffs uh Bracillo played center at duquesne earning first team all conference honors in 95 and 96 and he won two league championships including the school's first ever metro atlantic athletic conference mac title in 95 so yeah, he's had success as an offensive lineman, which I think uh, I know might seem I don't know trivial is the word, but like uh, that's important to me. Did you experience success at the thing that you're coaching? <laughs> like yeah, you did. Okay, well then you you're doing something right, and maybe you can help pass along that wisdom and that knowledge that made you so good to uh, the guys that you're coaching. So good hire. You know, um, I think it was Talking Giants pointed out that when we hired Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach we just fired, all the Bills fans were like, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Good riddance. And we were like, ooh. With this one, I guess a lot of Raiders fans are like, you're getting a good one. Damn it. I'm so pissed we let him out the door. So that's a good sign. And uh, um, I think we also hired a running back coach and a... strength and conditioning guy still no defensive coordinator yet i know that uh you know a lot of dream scenarios have us uh hiring antonio pierce as defensive coordinator which i i just do not see happening i think he given what he did with the raiders as interim coach the raiders will be stupid to the max to not hire him as the full-time permanent head coach uh, I mean, like, Max Crosby is, it wants a trade. He requested a trade if they don't hire uh, Pierce as the head coach. So I know he officially interviewed with them. Um, and I think the Falcons, a couple other teams might have requested an interview with him. And, it, uh, yeah, dude, it makes sense. He turned around that team completely. I mean, the first game he coached was against the Giants. And we, we all went to that game and we're like, well, normally... <laughs> Normally, when this kind of shenanigans shit happens to uh, for other teams, that usually comes out. Um, it's uh, you know a good sign for for us, but like you know we just have a history of like if there's any kind of major change at the quarterback or coaching or at coach level or quarterback position or something major going on, we'll lose that game <laughs> for sure. And uh, yeah, I think the players like them; they want to play for them, and uh, I kind of 
I mean, it would be nice to have him as defensive coordinator, but I think he's got the goods to be the head coach, and he's proven himself, so let him be the coach, the head coach at at Las Vegas. And then uh, the people are talking about Bill Belichick returning to the Giants. I don't know necessarily as a defensive coordinator, but man, that would be fucking hilarious. If he's like, yep, I'm going to go back to my roots. It's a full circle moment for me. Akuna Matata. Life finds a way. I'm going back to where I started as the defensive coordinator of the New York football. I mean, like, that would be... What? Unreal. I mean, that would be such a, a fucking <laughs> silly, hilarious Belichick move. So I'm not completely ruling it out. But uh, as most talking heads have said, he's probably going to want to be the head coach. And uh, I know the Falcons requested an interview... <laughs> Um, the commanders are probably interested. And uh, if you watched any playoff football this past weekend with uh, the Cowboys and the Eagles going down in the wild card round um, as the two and the five, both teams, there are now people speculating that, you know, Belichick is going to possibly go and be hired um, by one of those two teams, which, <sighs> dude, don't do it. Apparently he, before he joined New England, he talked to Jerry Jones and he said, keep me in mind if you ever have the position open. So he did want to be the head coach of the Cowboys, which drives me wild. Because, I don't know, you see a lot of players, like former Giants players, and even if they went to a different team, like an OCU Manura, you know, like a Carl Banks, like a Pepper Johnson, like, you know, like a lot of the guys that had pretty much all their success with the Giants but then went to another team, they they always tout once a giant, always a giant, and they always, always without fail are rooting against the Eagles, Cowboys, and Commanders. Always. So it's it, like it broke my heart when Bill Parcells was the coach of the Cowboys. Like, what, the, what are you doing, dude? Why are you doing this to us? So many teams. 20, uh, 25 plus teams that you could go to that aren't in our division. Literally, you can go to any other NFC team, and I'd be cool with it. Just not in our division. So really hope Belichick, now that he's done with New England, uh, does not make his way to the city of brotherly love or the Big D. That would be tremendous. Go anywhere else. Anywhere else. And so uh, now that he's done in at Foxborough, Gerard Mayo will be the head coach. He's the, I think he'll be the youngest head coach in the NFL, right? And uh, my buddy, who's a Pats fan, was telling me, oh, check this out. Bill Belichick had it in his contract that in two years... So this is not like unheard of or a shock or surprise for Bill Belichick, because I guess it was written in his contract that within two years... It would be a two-year to three-year process where he's going to have Gerard Mayo like shadowing him. And then he, he, it's in his contract that Gerard Once Belichick steps down or is let go, that Gerard Mayo has to be the head coach so he was grooming which i don't know if i should be using the word grooming with the epstein lists coming out recently but uh he was basically uh developing gerard mayo to be the next head coach so uh you know is gerard mayo going to be like the next mike tomlin hmm. which mike tomlin is an interesting story that's going on now never had a losing season in 17 seasons He's now the longest active tenured coach 
took a Steelers team that had no right going to the playoffs into the postseason and put a little fear into Buffalo. I mean, I know on paper and for most of that game, it looked like a, a blowout, but like the, they fought. And if, if not for a Mason Rudolph interception in the red zone in the goal to go situation and a, a couple of costly turnovers, I feel like they would, it, it's a lot closer than people give it credit for. So with Mason Rudolph, dude, and no TJ Watt. So it's like, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people would love to have Mike Tomlin as their coach, and it's just wild that Pittsburgh would ever consider parting ways with him. But if he's done, maybe he's fed up and done with Pittsburgh, and he's just like, I just need a change of scenery. Uh, so, yeah. No updates on the defensive coordinator. Um, and, you know, and this is going to be how I finish out the Giants section, really. You know, I don't really have too much other than this. You know, because I'm going to do the mock drafts at a later date when we get closer to there. Um, but, uh, well, the new chapter in the Brian Dable, Wink Martindale saga. And uh, it's not hyperbole to say saga because this thing will refuses to die. The saga continues. Now with uh, Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News, his article, which uh, I guess is behind a paywall. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, New York Daily News. I know it's, I guess it's $9 for the year which actually is not a bad deal. Hmm. But uh, it was essentially saying that Brian Dable is uh, a, too aggressive. He has uh, he can't control his temper, no self-control, no self-discipline, throws his uh, coaches and players under the bus, berates them in, in front of other players, coaches, on camera. You know, he and this was a criticism that happened when we were down, you know, when we were like one and four, one and five going into Buffalo. And like how he reamed out Tyrod Taylor after uh, the mismanagement of the clock towards the end of that first half. Missed a scoring opportunity, cost us the game, no big deal. Possibly the season. But the quote that has been circulating um, says that over the headset during the Washington Commanders game at Washington, when it was. 24-19, I think, was the score. He says to Wink over the headset, you're going to lose us this game just like you lost us the Jets game. Whoa, dude. Uh, yeah, was it, I mean, again, anonymous sources, unnamed people close to the situation, leaking that, um, and this is this might be Wink Martindale's camp linking, leaking it just to make Dable look like an asshole. If that's the case, it's like, dude... Just move on. You know, we loved you. We love what you did for our defense. We love the identity and personality that you brought to the defense. Um, but, like, you know, just, I don't know. He Wink Martindale doesn't have exactly the best history of, like, you know, having good working relationships, <laughs> you know? He had a pretty sweet deal in Baltimore, and then he couldn't, couldn't cut it with uh, Harbaugh there. Um... So, I mean, best of luck to Wink, but it just sounds like they both, it, it's just a major clash, big clash of personalities. You know, the article also apparently cites the fact that Dayball took play calling duties away from Mike Kafka multiple times um, and would often criticize him over the headset, like, you know, agree with a run call, but then the run is called, and he's like, "What? Why are we running the ball?" You know, and I guess he gave play calling duties to Shea Tierney, the, the QB coach, which is wild. I wonder which game that was, but 
I guess it was the last five games were all Kafka. So, and you saw maybe something like that was effective because you saw the difference between our points per game in the first half, first three quarters versus the previous 12 games versus the last five games. You know, with with the exception of New Orleans, which I thought was just all around a, a fucking clown show. Um, but like against the Eagles twice, putting up uh, 27 and 25. Against the Rams, putting up 25, 24, which should have been more. Thank you, Tyrod. Thank you, Mason Crosby. Uh, so I think Kafka kind of got back to um, doing things in a way that were more acceptable to Dable. It's tough, you know. Like I've said before, Bill Parcells, plenty of times where he's been, you know, screaming at Phil Simms on the sidelines, screaming at a, a offensive lineman for a false start or, you know, defensive guy for whatever. You know, plenty of clips of that happening. Um, but he won. He only had the one real bad season, 83. I don't know if you can even count 87. You know, only had two losing seasons, 83 and 87. 83 first year, 87 strike year. So whatever he was doing was working. But again, I don't know that that style of coaching necessarily works in the modern day. And so... What I don't like is, I don't think Parcells, I don't know, I guess I could I could very well see Parcells doing that, chewing out. Like, I think there's even clips of him chewing out Belichick. Like, what are we doing? What the fuck are you doing? So, like, it's early. We could look back on this year, five years from now, and be like, well, he just didn't have the right people around him. You know, he just needs his people. And I think that's kind of what, and maybe he's if he's if this is like this is like next level troll genius shit if he's like he wasn't happy with the fact that he didn't get to hire the people that he wanted the first go round that there was probably a lot of input from maybe not Shane but from uh, others in the front office the ownership like you need to hire this guy you need to hire this guy and so this is his way of being like all right well I'm just gonna make them look like fools and idiots and look incompetent so that they can either resign or perform so poorly that I can fire them. Like, I can't. <laughs> That's like my paranoia conspiracy brain kicking in. But, um, you know, Bobby Johnson was a friend of his, didn't work out, and uh, had to let him go. So, you know, the offense stunk this year. And he's supposed to be this offensive-minded coach, right? That's his background, his history, his expertise. And, like, the defense wasn't the problem. The offense put our defense in really poor situations, which we've said about a million times. Like, the numbers, the reason why our defense ranks so low is because the offense put them in, like, you know, really just unforgiving scenarios. So, but it does sound like a toxic work environment. But if it's that toxic, how the hell did we finish so strong? That's what I don't get. You know, and it wasn't against shitty teams. The Rams were good. The Eagles are whatever. I mean, they they have a good roster. Who knows what the hell is going on with the Eagles? Eagles fans. Holy shit, dude! Eagles fans. I got roasted in the comments about my video that I released about this time last year when the uh, Eagles smoked the Giants in the divisional round. I said that this is the beginning of the end for the Eagles. I do not see them competing next year. I do not see them like their window has closed and 
you know, we're going to close the gap. We didn't. Although, didn't we? Because you look at how the Eagles finished up the season, how they got trounced in the wild card by Tampa Bay, which, you know, 9 and 8 division winner, not exactly lighting up the score, not, you know, exactly, I don't know. You know, I don't think a lot of people saw this Buccaneers team going that far, but getting smoked by the Bucks, getting blown out by the Giants, um, losing 6-7 to finish out. Uh, Jason Kelsey retired. A lot of old dogs, veterans, you know, uh, Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. So there's a lot of, there could be a lot of turnover. And like, I have an Eagles a friend who's an Eagles fan. He gave me the breakdown. He's like, basically, we need a lot of these second year guys to pay off. If they all pay off, we're in a good spot. If they don't, we're screwed. Um, so with Kelsey leaving, that's a major blow to the offensive line. Not that they were able to run the ball that well towards the end of the season. It's, it's like that's, again, that's how they they got their offense going was through the run with Jalen Hurts as a threat. Uh, so things are shitty in Philly. <laughs> and I couldn't love it anymore than I currently am. I mean, I literally, Monday night, last night, I stayed up till 1 in the morning. That game ended pretty early on. <laughs> I mean, you know... It was 32-9, but, like, it ended... It felt like it was over in the first, second quarter. Anyway, it ended at, what, 11.15, 11.30? Stay up to one, just reading all the comments on Twitter, and, like, it's just... Uh, mwah, it's just so nice to see their downfall because they got so fucking cocky and high on themselves and, like, all their fan base as well. But Eagles fans, I'm talking to you, I'm looking directly at you. I watch a lot of football. I watch, a lot, I watch a lot of NFL football. I watch a lot of the NFL playoff football. Postseason football? Never in the 40-plus years that I've been watching NFL football, NFL playoffs, have I ever seen fans of one of the teams playing in the playoffs wear brown bag over their head and carry signs that pleaded and begged for the firing of their head coach. Never. That was shocking and surprising. I mean, I, you know, and I listened to part of my take with Max, uh, who's a diehard Eagles fan, and you know, he's his confidence wavered, and it's in it's crazy to think that the, that Sirianni has gone from <clears throat> well, he's a douchebag, but he's winning, so we love him. To well, now he's just a douchebag who loses. <laughs> it's like you run him out of town. This guy took you to the Super Bowl and lost and almost won. Like, can you imagine if he won the Super Bowl last year and then puts out this kind of performance this year? I guess once you win a Super Bowl, it buys you, what, three, four years, right? But damn, you lose the Super Bowl, take your team to the postseason the next season, and you could be out wild. But I've never seen that from a fan base. Never, dude. Wearing brown bags over their head and carrying signs that said, Fire Sirianni. I mean, it's wild. Wild. Um... And that's uh, that's that's amazing. And then the Cowboys, dude. You know, so that the Eagles feels like that's a that's a toxic, dysfunctional work environment. Cowboys, I don't think is a toxic, uh, dysfunctional work environment. I think it's just a delusional work environment or something. I don't know. Like there's talk about McCarthy getting fired, and it's like that guy's going to the playoffs. I think every year he's been there. He hasn't won a lot of playoff games, but he's gotten to the playoffs. It's funny because you see posts from like Jets fans being like, "We, oh, you're going to fire your head coach that took you to the postseason the, all three of the past three seasons? Cool. <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> there are plenty of franchises out there who would gladly take a coach that would take them to the postseason all the time, and because at least it gives you there's hope, which you know, got to be tough being a Cowboys fan, man, to go from your America's team dynasty in the early '90s to mid '90s um, to like literally just crickets. This is a mega drought in terms of postseason success. I mean, what, what are the stats? Like, Baker Mayfield has as many postseason wins as the Cowboys in the past 20 years or something like that? 25 years? 27 years? Whoa, dude. Yeah, so... Um, McCarthy could get fired, and he just makes the postseason every year. <laughs> That's wild. <coughs> and, uh, I, I mean, I'm... I guess I'm a little ashamed, but I'm not completely ashamed to say this, but I had, I mean, I had a 1% doubt in my brain that the Cowboys would lose the Packers. I was like, well, Jordan Love's on a tear. You know, I I'm, I can't believe how many passing touchdowns he's thrown. And uh, ever since the Giants game, it looks like he's just, he's like Aaron Rodgers 2.0. But even given that first playoff game... I know C.J. Stroud had a big first playoff game, but, like, that's C.J. Stroud. Um, you know, Packers' defense isn't that great. The, the Cowboys are unbeatable at home. That was, like, a, the big storyline. It was, like, they have their average winning differential at home is, like, 17 points, 20 points per game, which is, like, they just can't lose at home. And not just can't lose. They, they just dominate completely um, at home. And their defense is supposed to be like this uh, top five defense, Super Bowl defense led by Micah Parsons, who's a, an animal, can't be stopped. He was stopped. So, I, I honestly, a bit surprising, you know? And Jerry Jones said it was the most painful loss in the playoffs he's ever experienced. And a lot of people were like, uh, 2007, Giants, divisional round? Like, what? <laughs> You're supposed to beat us handedly and you didn't? But yeah, that's uh, that is thoroughly embarrassing. So interesting to think that McCarthy could be out of a job. But toxic work environment. It'll be interesting to see how the Giants proceed from here, because if Shane had to intervene, like Joe Shane, GM Joe Shane, had to monitor the the headsets, listen in on the headsets to see what was going on with Dable and what he was saying to the rest of the staff and the players, and it's just like, that's not good. That's not a good sign. Um, That feels like micromanaging, and maybe Dable is micromanaging. So while people want to make the comparison to Parcells in the way that he's fiery and is intense and will get in your face and is no holds barred, I feel like he's following more of the path of Tom Coughlin. So they're not exactly the same guy, right? But if you remember, when Tom Coughlin first was head coach of the Giants in 2004, he immediately got this reputation amongst the players where the players were like, this sucks. He is just way too strict, way too severe, way too harsh, way too demanding, yada, yada, yada. And no one liked his approach. And then it was, I think, before the 2007 season, the players went to him and said, hey, you got to chill out, dude. Like, here are the things that we like. Here are the things we don't like. And so that's when he formed uh, whatever that was called, the leadership group, captain's group or something, where it's like a, a council of veteran players, respected players in the clubhouse that could serve as leaders and whatnot, and entrusted them with more uh, responsibility and duty 
spread it out and was not this uh, dictator um, that he originally was. Could that be what happens to Dable, where this is a wake-up moment for him? Um, not that he pays much mind to Pat Leonard and the New York Daily News, but like, it's hard I, for me. It's hard to believe that an organization completely can shut out what's going on in the outside world. If they can, bravo, dude. It's it's got to be like next to impossible. So there's got to be. I mean, the fact there are leaks. It's probably from Wink Martindale's camp, whatever, to make Dable look like shit. But still, it's not like fabricated <laughs> it sounds like it's based in reality and it's not that far-fetched and we've heard rumblings and rumors about and speculation and we've kind of seen it during the telecast so it's like hey buddy ease off the gas a little bit pump the brake like the fans i think are still behind dable but at the same time you, i mean like i don't you you can't have a third year of him just tearing into everyone and losing I feel like if you come out in season three, and I think even if you if you miss the playoffs, hmm, I think there's just grounds for dismissal if he continues to behave like this and you don't see results. That just shit does not fly. You know, with Parcells, it was like year two, we're in the playoffs, we won a wild card game. Year three, playoffs, won a, won a wild card game. Uh... You know, uh, the following year, Super Bowl missed the playoffs the next two years, but it wasn't like you know a strike year, and then they like barely missed the postseason based on like that shitty loss to the Jets. <clears throat> and then '89 playoffs, home field advantage, of course, you know, lose to the Rams, which sucks. Um, that is almost feels along the lines of what's happening with McCarthy and Sirianni, where it's like, dude, we had home field advantage, 12 and four, and we lose the Rams in the divisional game. <clears throat> so yeah. And then 90, he wins the Super Bowl. And then he's, peace out, A-Town. So, huge season for Brian Dable. It's like, you go out there, you didn't like your staff for whatever reason, so it looks like Kafka might be on the outs now. It sucks. Um, as much shit as I give him, because there are games where it's like, there are stretches and games where you're like, what was the strategy here? What? What? Um, and there's like, head scratchers during key critical crucial moments so i wouldn't be surprised if kafka leaves or is or is hired away or whatever so that you know pivotal off season pivotal because we thought we had all the all our ducks in a row all the dominoes were aligned up like we thought it was all like we had it right going into last off season and it's just like oh we're only going to get better and for like that was like the talk throughout the entire offseason, throughout the training camp, was the Giants have improved. The offense has improved. The defense has improved. Improve, 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 improve. 40 nothing blowout at home. <laughs> like, I know you want to blame the players, but you look at how players play when they don't like to play for the coach. You look at what happened with Josh uh, McDaniels in Las Vegas. They fucking hated him. Antonio Pierce is the head coach. They play at another level. Is that what's happening with Dable? A lot of people are saying no, that the players are not quitting on him. And I think I buy it. I think I buy it. But uh, man, oh man, if you miss the postseason, it can't be more than a game. I think he's out of excuses. But the, and here's his saving grace, or here's what I, here's why I have hope for him is because he got off to a, one of the worst starts in franchise history in the first half ish and
a lot of other coaches, the wheels would have come off and we would have looked like absolute dog shit down the stretch. It happened with Ben McAdoo. It happened with Pat Shermer. It happened with Joe Judge. We look like uh, ass clowns out there. And uh, he didn't let that happen. We finished strong. Despite not winning, like, there was a... (laughs) Dude, there was a point where even after we lost to the Raiders... Even after we lost to the Saints, we still had a shot at the playoffs. Very low probability, but if we had beaten the Eagles twice and the Rams, win three straight, you know, there's a little bit of outside shot. This person loses, that person ties, but, you know, tiebreakers come into effect. So uh, I think that's what saved his job. I mean, this is not a great look for him. And I, I am, I mean, if your ownership, if you're Joe Shane, you nip this in the bud, and you say, here are the things we like, just like they did with Tom Coughlin. Here are the things we like. Here's the things that you need to stop doing. And if you can just curtail the things that are are, are uh, not only bad optics, but apparently are not getting the what you need done, and you can kind of heighten and amplify the good things that you do, this team is going to go far. But it's all it's all on it's really all on the table. There's no more excuses. The spotlight's on him. You can't tell me, oh, this one got hurt and that one got hurt and this uh, blah, 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 blah. Get it done. Oh, so that's the Giants. And I don't know if we can talk about the Mets. Can we? Battery's about to die. 6%. We're going to try it. Let's talk Mets. Metro has claimed right-handed pitcher Max Kranick, formerly of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Kranick? Kranick. My bad. Max Kranick, formerly of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who... Uh, designated him for assignment, released him, whatever. Off waivers, um, the righty was designated for assignment, yes, by the Buckos a week ago when they needed a roster spot. Stude Max Krennic, 6'3", 220, born on July 21st, 1997. He is 26 years of age. Scranton, PA, home of the office. Drafted by the Pirates in the 11th round of the 2016 June amateur draft. He's a... Uh, from Archibald, Pennsylvania, Valley View High School. Made his debut in June of 2021 uh, at the age of 80, uh, 23. He pitched five innings, zero hits, three strikeouts, zero walks, zero earned, and a dub in five innings of work against the Cardinals. Quite the debut. Damn, homie. And uh, his rookie status is still intact through 2024? I don't believe that. That That's got to be a typo but um he's arbitration eligible in 2026 free agent 2029 he yeah so his service time as of january is only 1.1 years so wouldn't that eliminate him from rookie status i don't know but that's uh pitching is the name of the game at this point right because i don't think you're gonna really add a bat that's gonna make a difference could be wrong about that but i mean that's those are the two major pushes that they've made this offseason is pitching and infield it feels like they're signing a lot of veteran dudes uh to minor league contracts or to to invite them to camp to i guess compete with brett Beatty and mark vientos and see if they can get the best out of Beatty and vientos and if not you might have to go with like a veteran infielder that maybe shouldn't be in the majors (laughs) oh boy oh ronnie mauricio how dare you uh yeah so 
pitching pitching is uh, the name of the game. Marcus Stroman signed with the Yankees, which is just, uh, you know, sure, why not? I mean, I think he called the Yankees organization racist, or the Yankees fans are racist. But, uh, you know, I guess you wave enough money in front of his face, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, I can tolerate the racism. This makes the racism go down smooth. Uh, and then Blake Snell has received an offer from the Yankees. Oh, my God. So the Yankees uh, going hard in the paint. We are, the Metros are officially out of the running for Hater, which uh, I think, you know, a lot of us kind of saw coming. We have about, I think we have $10 million to play with to button up the final roster spots or to fill out the roster uh, to get some depth. Um, pitchers and catchers report in a month. And you know, so we're still looking at some infielders and some pitching. There's a, the, the word from a lot of insiders that, that we, the Mets have a preference for a left-handed arm. Brent Suter and Wandy Peralta are among the potential targets, along with right hander John Brebbia. Suter spent the 2023 season with the Rockies, logged a 3.38 ERA, 18.8% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate, 46.5% grounder rate, and his, uh, a lot of weak contact, which is good to hear. His 84 mile per hour average exit velocity and 26.3% hard hit rate and 3.3% barrel rate all ranked in the 97th percentile of batter, or better among MLB pitchers. Damn, dude. Underrated signing. I freaking love it. Uh, since making his MLB debut back in 2016, he touts a lifetime career ERA of 3.49. And since he's moved to a relief role in, uh, in 2020, he's logged a 3.16 ERA with a 21.4% strikeout rate and 7.6% walk rate. So very under the radar, underrated signing. And that is kind of what I was hoping for, for this offseason. Don't give me names because they're names. Give me dudes that just go out there and ball and perform. And maybe they don't get the awards and the accolades and the achievements. They're not mentioned in any kind of postseason awards or preseason prospectus or whatever. But they just get the job done and they get it done well. And they just fly under the radar. Give me all those dudes. So that is a prime example of a guy that's like, yes, thank you. Um, and then Wander Peralta from 2021, the past three seasons, he's logged 153 innings of 2.82 ERA ball with a 21% strikeout rate, 10.2% walk rate, and a huge 56.5% ground ball rate. Um, he's in the 88th percentile or better in terms of uh, average exit velocity in each of the past four seasons. Again, sign me up, dude. But uh, those are targets. Those are guys that we have not signed. But man, it'd be nice to get them in the mix. And then Brebby is 33. He spent the past three seasons with the Giants out in San Fran. Fared quite well. Posted an ugly 5.89 ERA um, in only 18 innings back in 21. But that was his first season back from Tommy John. And since then, he's worked a worked to a 3.47 ERA in a little over 106 innings. Uh, the past two seasons. He's worked mostly as a setup man, but was also a frequent opener, which is cool. And he's fresh off a career-best 29.2% strikeout rate. In six big league seasons between the Cardinals and Giants, he logged a 3.42 ERA with better-than-average strikeout and walk rates, respectively. So, I mean, will 
Can $10 million land us all three of those dudes? My guess is no, <laughs> but I think uh, to come away with at least one of those guys would be pretty sweet, you know? Because I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I really need to look into the state of our bullpen because I feel like there's been, uh, we've lost a lot of dudes and I don't know we've retained a lot of guys and I, know that, I don't even know if the guys that we have retained are something that you want to write home about. Moving on to the international signings. We signed Vlad Guerrero Jr., son of Vlad Guerrero, so that's pretty cool. Um, we now have, uh, I mean, we have some baseball royalty in our midst amongst our ranks with uh, Acuna's brother and now Guerrero's son. So we're building something, we're building for the future, which is good to see. And hopefully, uh, you know, if they're even half of or three quarters of their heritage, <laughs> their ancestors, then their lineage, uh, their family tree, then I think we're in a good spot. We also signed another international signing of note, Giovanni Rodriguez, catcher. Uh, $2.85 million signing bonus. He's a Venezuelan native. Uh, it was the number six prospect in MLB's pipe, MLB pipeline. Whoa. So that's interesting. It's like we already have Francisco Alvarez, young dude, 21-22, I assume this guy is probably like 16, I'd have to say 16, 17, maybe at the youngest. So, um, I don't know, you know, maybe it's like, we don't have complete faith and trust in Francisco Alvarez. Interesting move in my eyes. Pete Alonso did not go to arbitration with the Metros. He uh, signs a one year, $20.5 million deal. It's up from $14 million last year and $7 million the year before that. So, you know, increase it by seven every year. So maybe next year he's $27 million a year. No, not worth it. I don't know. He's only 29 years old. You got to figure he's got, I think he's got another five years in him. At least four. I think he's got another four or five years in him. So that's the question. If he wants eight years, you're going to give him eight knowing that half of that deal is going to be bunk, dude. Uh, his batting line of 217, 318, 504, that's batting average, Sluggo, and uh, oh no, on base, and then Sluggo from last year translated to a WRC plus of 121, indicating he was 21% above league average at the plate. Uh, so I, you know, I, you know, my thoughts like sign up, I, I want him to be a lifelong Met. I think he wants to be a lifelong Met. It's just they're they're just they're still far apart, you know. And this the same article that I was reading was saying that like if the team is not in contention at the trade deadline, that he's a trade candidate. It's like, ooh, that's tough. Cause I mean, he brought so much energy to this franchise. I mean, you think about where the Mets were in 2019, coming off back-to-back, -back, no postseason efforts. The 2017 campaign, by all counts, was a fucking nightmare where, like, everyone got hurt. And then 2018 was uh, a, a downer. And so 2019 comes along. This uh, new guy comes along. They're not sure if he's going to be the starting first baseman, and he just goes out and ends up cranking 50-plus home runs of rookie record. <laughs> like, and he's, you know, th there's no question about his, his, uh, his power. His ability to hit home runs, there's no question about it. I guess the, the downside of what people are, the detractors say, they point to last season when he just, I mean, but honestly, dude, you have to attribute that to the wrist. 
he just came back way too quick from the wrist thing when after he got hit. So, you know, I think it, he struggled for a long time because I think that wrist was not 100%. And it's such a vital, it's just like so important, you know, to the, to his hitting. So that's kind of hard to see and read and hear that he's a trade candidate if we're out of contention because like it feels like a lot of people are predicting that we're going to finish third or fourth and that that's probably not going to get be good enough for the postseason that we're going to miss the postseason again that just seems like the vibe that i'm getting you know but then again it's like i don't know weren't people saying that about xyz the diamondbacks or i mean yeah the diamondbacks dude so I, you know, I don't pay much mind to what the predictions say because every time they predict us going to the World Series, we do not. <laughs> and every time they don't, we do. So, uh, you know, count us out by all. Count us out. I'm all for it because that means that we'll exceed expectations, and I think P. Alonzo will be a big factor. I think he's going to have a, a a really a. It's wild to call it a bounce back year, but I guess it's a bounce back year. I just don't see him having the prolonged slumps that he did last season. You know? New manager, new hitting coach, new bench coach, just a new set of dudes to kind of guide him. And I think they're going to, you know, I, I mean, I don't know much about the guys that we've hired, but apparently the manager's a player's coach and can get the most out of his players. And while... Buck was more of a layback and let the vets handle the biz, not not interfere, laissez-faire kind of attitude. Having trust in the veterans to provide that leadership, I don't. That's not the case with this new manager and the new uh, coaching staff. I don't think so. It's like, you know, maybe they can get the best out of Pete Alonso, and that means not relying on him to just figure it out and bust out of the slump on his own. He's 29, so he's not a young, young dude. But still, sometimes a guy like that needs a little guidance and can't figure it out on his own because I think he even said he was pressing too much. Did Buck go to him and say, hey, don't press so much? Is that enough? Hey, don't press so much. Or do you work with him and say, hey, X, Y, Z, you know? Uh, And then I'll finish out by by just uh, noting that Bud Harrelson passed away at the age of 79. Um, he battled Alzheimer's for an extended period, which is just awful. And, uh, I would, I would do anything to avoid that, but I don't know. Uh, Gold Glove shortstop played 13 years in Queens. He appeared in more games at shortstop than anyone else in franchise team history. Uh, I do not, you know, I'm 43, born in 80. So I did not see a lot of his playing days. I am more familiar with him as the third base coach of the 86 world champions, most notably waving. I believe it was Ray Knight in the, the go ahead run in the 86 world series game six, when Mookie hit a little dribbler down the line. Uh, so that's how I know Buddy Harrelson. That's how I remember him. I, I vaguely remember him taking over manager duties in 1990 after Davey, uh, Ooh, Davey Johnson was canned. Ooh, baby. Mid-season. Vaguely remember that. Um, He did, but when he was playing, he signed with the Mets as a 19-year-old. He made a pair of All-Star games in 1970 and 71, finished among the top five NL shortstops and fielding percentage each year from 1969 to 1972. I mean, he was a, a defensive shortstop. You know, his offensive numbers were 
whoa, I think he hit maybe one home run, two home runs in his entire <laughs> Mets career. Uh, I do. So next up, so it's third base coach for the 86 team, manager of the 90 team. Um, I think he was, and then he, uh, he was fired in 91, I think, as Mets manager. But uh, so it's, those are the two that I most remember about him. And then the third is they always, 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 and I see it on social media, I see it on SNY during games, at least once a year, show his bench clearing brawl with the Reds in the uh, 73 NLCS. Or was it 72 NLCS? I think it was 73 NLCS, the year we went to the World Series against the A's. Uh, when he when Pete Rose took a hard slide, I guess Harrelson made some comments about the Reds, one of the Mets pitchers making the Reds' offense look like how Buddy Harrelson hits, and he's not a hitter. Which, first of all, self-deprecating, and the fact that <laughs> the Reds would get pissed about that is like, eh, I guess it's the 70s. But uh, Pete Rose took offense and decided to take him out at second with a hard slide, and that's when they, they went at it, so... Those are the three things that I remember about Buddy Harrelson the most. I don't remember much else from his playing days. He was inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame uh, in 86. And uh, I kind of forgot, like, the 90 Mets weren't bad. And, like, they would, they were played well enough to make the playoffs if it was today's modern playoff format. I know that much. I mean, 91 71. Which I guess back in 1990 is like, oh, what a bad season. But it's like they probably would have made the playoffs and won the World Series. <laughs> Given how things have sh shaken out in recent postseasons in Major League Baseball. Finished second in the NL East. But uh, Davey Johnson started the season 20 and 22. And then Bud Harrelson comes in and finishes out strong 71 and 49. Atta boy. Uh, but yeah. Whoops. You look at like if you had. So there's the East Division, the West Division, and the National League, right? We finished behind the Pirates. We were four games behind the Pirates, who finished 95 and 67. We had the same goddamn record as the Reds, who were in the West Division, who were the West Division champions, won the West Division, that pennant, but yet didn't make the playoffs. And lo and behold, the Reds ended up winning the World Series that year over the A's. Took down the Pirates 4-2, swept the uh, A's. So it's like, who knows what the Mets would have done if they had gotten into the postseason, the big dance. So I think that following season was the beginning of the end, uh, was the beginning of like a very bad Mets uh, s uh, drought slump, right? Because it was 91, ugh. I mean, those were the dull, those were the dark years. 91 to 98, 97. 97, we started to play a lot better. And I think we had an, a, a good enough record to make the playoffs in the current format. Um, and then 98, it got better. 99 playoffs, 2000 playoffs, World Series. So yeah, Buddy Harrelson, uh, rest in power. So that's the episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Um, I hope to, at the end of the week, possibly put out a nice life updates type situation. I think that might be good for the feed, for your for your brains, for your balls, because uh, a lot's gone down in my life, and uh, some of it shocking, some of it not so shocking. Actually, none of it shocking, to be honest. But uh, some of it that you will definitely roll your eyes at. Uh, a lot of scoffing, I predict. 
I predict a lot of uh, roasting and whatnot, so can't wait. Uh, but thank you, and we'll talk to you next time. Adios, muchachos.